Welcome to Flatirons Church Online. We are so glad that you're here. Hey, you might not know this, but one of the best things about our online community is that many of us are watching from a ton of different places. So let us know in the comments where you're watching from or if you have a favorite moment from this message. If you are watching in Colorado, we actually have five locations across the Denver Boulder area that we would love to get you connected to. If you're near one of those campuses, reach out to us and we'll help you get plugged in. If you love what we're doing around here, or if today's message has an impactful to you, please share and like this video and don't forget to subscribe to this channel. All right. Flatirons, what's up? How are we doing? <clears throat> Long time no see. Uh, hey, I'm very excited to dig into what we're about to talk about today. Um, if you want to get a head start, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible or your app or whatever, you can get a head start, get there now. But before we dig in, we've got to do a little housekeeping together. Um, and that's because I have received a ton of emails. Flatirons has received a ton of emails, all essentially asking the same thing, which is, where did you go? Okay, were you fired? Did you quit? Like, you know, were you abducted by aliens or whatever? So <clears throat> let me clear this up for us real quick so that hopefully I get just like less emails about this. Um, so I've had two big changes to my life in the last year. Okay, the first one is um, I bought my first new pair of shoes in five years. So um, found them on sale for 40 bucks. Felt like an adult. Um, you guys who have been here for a while, you're like, he's got one outfit when he teaches. Well, now I have two. So um, big stuff happening in my life. The other uh, big change is that back in April of last year, I actually stepped off of the staff at Flatirons, okay? Now, I'm proud to say there's no scandal, okay? There was no like massive fight or disagreement. Instead, like I'll start, I'll let you in on what happened. Um, Allie and I for years had just been realizing like slowly, like even though we didn't want to realize it, that we were supposed to change up the way that I do ministry. We just didn't know how we were supposed to change it up. So, I mean, years ago, I went and told leadership that they actually walked with me through the process of trying to figure out what was next for Allie and I. And we tried, we looked at church planting for a little bit and that just, didn't you know, feel right. And, and I started interviewing in other churches across the country, got offered a job. It didn't feel right. Eventually, we, back in April, we decided to just do something crazy. I stepped off of staff. Ever since then, I've been fully self-employed and I'm a traveling teacher. So I just jump around and teach at all these churches around the country. Um, I teach at any... Oh, okay. They're like, fine, let's get rid of this guy, finally. Yeah, go somewhere else, dude. Um, yeah, I'll teach at any church that believes in Jesus. I'm specifically passionate about the kinds of churches where like, dude, most of these lead pastors, they teach every single weekend, every single year on top of all the other stuff they're doing and they're just tired. And so any chance I get to go out and like help keep another lead pastor happy and healthy and rested, like I feel very honored to get to do that. Um, and so Flatiron still contracts me to teach. That's why I was here last year. That's why I'm here today. I'll, I'll teach here for as long as you guys will have me. Um, so I still get to be here, but at the same time, like I get to go see what God's doing in other churches across the world. Like I got to teach at a rad church in North Carolina last week. I get to teach at an awesome church in Missouri next week. And so that's what I've been doing for like the last, I guess it's like nine months or something like that. And it's been amazing. It's been scary. 
Um, it's been amazing because again, I get to see what God's doing elsewhere. It's been amazing because I get to work from home. Like I pick my kids up from school every day and then just hang with them, which I haven't been able to do since they've been born, you know? So that's been amazing. It's been scary because it's new and it's challenging. It's frightening. It's been scary because like if one thing falls through, like Allie and I are literally broke like tomorrow. But at the same time, like we've watched God provide for my little family in ways that honestly floor me. And so even the stuff that's been scary has ended up being amazing. So that's what I've been doing. I'd be lying to you if I told you I don't miss being here every single weekend. If I told you I don't miss being on staff, like I was on staff for 12 years. That's my family. Like I, I love this place. Um, I don't know how I become a Christian without Flatirons Community Church, but at the same time, I'd be lying if I told you I don't absolutely love what we're doing right now. So like, I don't think we'll do this forever, but for this little season of life, this is just like what my family's souls need. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, back in April, leadership was like, do you wanna make an announcement? I was like, no, we don't, I don't wanna make an announcement. Like, first of all, I hate that, whatever that kind of attention is, I hate that. Um, and then also I was like, I don't think anyone's really gonna notice because like, <laughs> I'm still teaching all the time, you know? So um, that turned out not to be the case. I get a wild theory every week in my email. I'm like, you know, I heard from a friend who heard from a stranger at Costco that you lost your legs on the train tracks. It's like, well, <laughs> maybe we should clear some stuff up here. So that's what I've been doing. If, if my family pops up into your mind, we'd love to be in your prayers. And uh, if you're a pastor out there watching this and you're exhausted, give me a call. Um, <laughs> could be cool. I could help you out. You could put food on my table. So it could be win-win. Um, okay, enough of that. Let's stop talking about me. Let's talk about Jesus stuff. We go with that? Cool. Okay. So we are uh, wrapping up the series called Upside Down. Been talking about how the kingdom of God functions upside down. It's upside down in the sense that it just doesn't work the way that you would initially expect it to work. And we've been tackling this idea by looking at the beginning of Jesus's ministry that we see throughout the gospels. Okay, so we looked at his baptism, which is like the inauguration of the king. We looked at Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, which is where the mission of the kingdom gets tested and then strengthened. And then last week we saw Jesus handpick his disciples. We saw that he didn't pick the cream of the crop. He picked like flunkies. He picked very unlikely first followers. And that brings us to today, where we're gonna look at the opening statement of Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. Okay, I've gotta warn you right off the bat, okay? Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is challenging. It's just challenging. It, it's, it's uncomfortable, makes me feel uncomfortable. At least it's heavy stuff. It's also like, it's a lot of stuff to cover in a short amount of time. Okay, so for the next few minutes, like we'll get to the part where we like take a big breath and figure out what this means for us. But for the next few minutes, we're like, we're going pedal to the metal, doing like a hardcore Bible study of the beginning of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. It's gonna be a lot, but hang with me. I promise at the end, we'll kind of tie it into our real life and see what it has to say for us. But we're gonna jump in. We're gonna get started. We're starting in Matthew chapter five, verse one, goes like this. It says, now when he, that's Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, and now time out right away. Okay, so we, we can get some context here because like he's about to speak and this is an absolute drum roll moment. 
Okay, remember like we've been learning leading up to this moment right now, Jesus has been establishing a kingdom. He calls it a kingdom. Okay, he says it's the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes he calls it the kingdom of God. It's a literal kingdom. It's one that won't be fully realized and perfected until Jesus eventually returns. But it is a kingdom that is here now. It's breaking into reality all around us. And this kingdom of heaven began when Jesus's ministry began. A few verses before this one, Matthew tells us that from that time on, meaning from Jesus's temptation and forward, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, repent is a word that means rethink the way you think about everything. In fact, it can also be translated, turn your thinking upside down. Okay, so he says, you gotta start rethinking the way you think about everything. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. It's here now. And so leading up to this moment, Jesus has been walking around and he's going, hey, I'm the king, okay? I brought the kingdom of heaven with me. And because of that, it's time to basically rethink your entire life. And in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, which we're about to read, he's finally gonna elaborate for the very first time what it means that the kingdom of heaven is here. He's gonna elaborate on like what it looks like for him to rule his kingdom, and he's gonna explain what it looks like to be citizens in his kingdom. And so it's a really huge moment. Okay, this is like the inaugural address of the king who's gonna reign forever. And so the crowd is leaning in. They're eager to hear what he's about to say. We would be wise in 2024 to also lean in and be eager to what Jesus has to t- say, say to us, teach us. And so he's got this huge, like big, attentive crowd, right? They're all leaning in. So Jesus kind of waits for everybody to get settled, kind of waits for the whispering to die down. And then he kind of clears his throat. He opens his mouth and he begins delivering the most upside down, backwards, unpredictable, shocking, and controversial sermon that has ever been or will ever be delivered. And his sermon starts like this. We're gonna read the whole beginning together and then we'll back up and kind of break it down. He opens his mouth and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they're going to be filled. And blessed are the merciful, because they're going to be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, because they're actually going to get to see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they're going to be called sons of God. And then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You can actually rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. (laughs) That is how the king begins his inaugural address. And what we've got to understand today is that like after that opening statement, it would have been absolute crickets on that mountaintop. Okay, no cheering, no shouting, no throwing hats up into the air or whatever, just crickets, just people leaning to their buddies going like, did I hear him correctly? Did he really just say that? Because it's upside down. This is not what the Jewish people expected of their Messiah. They expected a dude who was going to clear his throat, speak up, and elaborate exactly how he was going to kick down the front door to the Roman government in order to take Israel back. That's the kind of kingdom they were expecting. 
They were expecting Jesus to open his mouth and do a very specific kind of recruiting, right? He was going to recruit people who were ready and willing to charge into a very literal battle against Rome with him. But instead, Jesus opens his mouth. He does an entirely different kind of recruiting. It's not what they wanted to hear 2,000 years ago. If we're being honest, frankly, it's not what we want to or expected to hear today in 2024. Because Jesus basically opens his mouth and he says, listen, I'm going to establish a kingdom that will span all of eternity. It'll eventually inherit all of the earth. And I'm going to build this kingdom with poor, mournful, meek, spiritual losers. That's how he opens his address. He didn't say anything about the Romans. He didn't say anything about the Jewish people's history or inheritance. All he ended up saying was, if you feel like a spiritual loser, I will be your king. It's amazing, but it's, it's backwards, totally upside down. Apparently, Jesus was right. It's time to repent. It's time to totally rethink what a king and a kingdom could look like. And so we're going to break, go back and kind of break these verses down. They're called the Beatitudes. And it's really just a list of characteristics of who will feel blessed in Jesus's kingdom. And so we're going to break these characteristics down. As we do that, we're also going to look at what the opposite of each one of these characteristics would be. And we're going to do that because there's something I think we should consider today. Okay, there's that really old saying. I honestly, I thought it came from the movie, The Usual Suspects. Turns out it's been around since like the 1860s. There's this old saying that goes, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. Okay, it's a great saying. Today, I want us to consider something a little different. Okay, here's another pretty great trick that the devil could pull. It would be convincing people that citizenship in the kingdom of heaven requires the exact opposite of what Jesus declared. So we're going to look at the characteristics of citizens in Jesus's kingdom. We're going to look at the opposites of those two, because I'm pretty sure what we're all about to see is that for many churches and many Christians, and more importantly, for many of us, we've just been living by the wrong requirements for his kingdom. And as we do this, if, if you feel a little bit like, you know, convicted at times, like, oh, dude, I don't like talking about this one. Like this one hits too close to home. That's fine. If you just feel convicted. Hang on to that feeling. We'll talk about what to do with it at the end but let's break these characteristics of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven down. Okay, Jesus starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, what does that mean? Okay, poor in spirit does not mean that you're insecure. Doesn't mean that you beat yourself up all the time because you're just not perfect yet. That's not what it means. Instead, poor in spirit in this context means you totally understand your own spiritual helplessness. You're spiritually bankrupt. What it means is that you've tried fixing your own life on your own power, and you know that that doesn't work anymore. Poor in spirit means that you know that you can't earn your own grace and mercy and relationship with Jesus. Jesus says that people who understand that, people who are poor in spirit, can be citizens in his kingdom. The opposite of being poor in spirit is perfectionism. Okay, perfectionism is this belief that you've got to be absolutely perfect in order to earn Jesus's love. Like you've got to earn your own way into grace and mercy. So you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps in order to prove your value and your worth to Jesus. That's perfectionism. And if we're being honest, for many churches and for many of us, like the worm of perfectionism has rooted itself so deeply into our heart, we're not even sure how to get it out anymore. That's perfectionism. We're trying to be our own saviors. And Jesus goes, yeah I, don't, yeah, I don't want people like that. 
Next one, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And for sure he's talking for, to people who are mourning the loss of a loved one or a relationship or a job or whatever. We're told that Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. Okay, but, but really in this context, what mourning means, it's more so talking about people who feel deep sadness over their own brokenness. Okay, so you're mourning over the addiction that you can't seem to break or the dysfunction in your family that just seems hopeless or you're mourning over that broken part of yourself that just seems to make the same wrong decision all of the time. Jesus says that if you approach his kingdom with that kind of mourning, you'll find yourself comforted because his kingdom is one of mercy and forgiveness. What's the opposite of mourning over your own brokenness? The opposite of that is self-righteousness. Okay, this is, this is where you, self-righteousness is like where you go like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Like, I've got this thing figured out. Why? Well, because, you know, I read my Bible for X amount of minutes a day and I pray all the time and I haven't missed church in X amount of weekends and I only listen to K-Love all the time. And it's like, those are all fine things to do. Those are all great things to do, all right? But self-righteousness is when you take your faith, you turn it into a checklist and then you tell yourself that Jesus loves you more because you've checked more boxes than Nancy over there or whatever. That's self-righteousness. Jesus says that self-righteousness doesn't have a place in his kingdom. Next one, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this, this one's confusing to us, especially modern Americans, because it's like, myself included, it's like meekness isn't like an attribute that I think of as something that's good to have. And so let's break it down. When Jesus says this, he's almost certainly, like biblical scholars almost unanimously agree that he's referencing Psalm 37, where King David wrote, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. And if you go read all of Psalm 37 later today, which you should, because it's great, if you go read all of it, you realize the theme of this Psalm is having such a deep trust in God, totally trusting that he's in control and trusting it so much that you're now, you now no longer have to worry or fret or get angry at the actions of other people or the state of your world. So King David says things like, do not fret because of evil men and do not worry when men succeed in their ways and carry out wicked schemes and refrain from your anger and turn away from your own wrath. And so in this case, when Jesus says blessed are the meek, he's talking about anyone who trusts that Jesus is king and we are not. And he's talking about anyone who trusts that so much that we're now able to approach the world in a state of being gentle and courteous and considerate and slow to anger with the people and culture and world around us. Now, the opposite of meek in this context is just fear and anger. Okay, it just happens when we lose sight of the fact that we have a king, he's on the throne, he's totally in control, he hasn't forgotten us. When we lose sight of that, we get angry at the state of our world and then we get scared that there's just like, there's no one in control of this thing, so maybe we have to be in control of it. I think the most common way that I see this play out in my own life and then in other people's lives is like when we lose sight of the fact that there's a king on the throne, it ends up, it's really easy to fall into doing that thing where we kind of like rant and rave on Facebook and with our friends. I never do it on social media, but I do it with my friends, like where we start ranting about like the state of our world or the latest like political hot topic, right? It ends up not being constructive because it's based out of fear and anger. 
And I'm definitely not saying, just to clarify, like I'm not saying that as Christians, we're all supposed to like sit on our hands and watch like the world fall apart. Like this is one of the cool things about living in a democracy is we each have the freedom to vote on the people and policies that we individually value. I'm not saying that. Instead, what I'm saying, what Jesus is saying about meekness, what King David is saying about meekness in Psalm 37 is like, our hope and trust is never supposed to be placed in, for us, the kingdom of America. Our hope and trust is placed in the kingdom of heaven. And what that means is we can, and we should, do what we're able to do to bring the kingdom of heaven into our families and our societies and our schools, you name it, but we don't have to do it in fear or in anger. We get to do it in meekness. We can be gentle and courteous and considerate and slow to anger. Why? Because we've got a king. He's on the throne. He's in control. And our world may be falling apart. Our kingdom certainly isn't, and it won't ever. Okay, we're going to try to blow through the next five as quickly as possible for the sake of time. Okay, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This means anyone who has an insatiable longing just to see things made right again see things made whole again in their own hearts first and then in their relationships and then in the world around them. The opposite of this one is again, self-righteousness. It's like, I don't really have much to work on and we don't need to harp on that one again. Next, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Okay, merciful, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? The opposite of this one is being judgmental. Like you don't show mercy to people, instead you just judge people around you. You look down your nose at other people because they're, you know, they're an addict or they have a lot of family drama and baggage or they're not as successful as me. Judgment doesn't belong to us. It belongs to our King, which Jesus teaches later in his sermon. And so you and I are called to offer people mercy, not judgment. Next one, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. This means sincerity of heart. It means you're sincerely chasing after Jesus and it's not for show. And if that's the case, it means you can be sincere and honest about your own shortcomings and failures and your own spiritual helplessness and brokenness. The opposite of this one is hypocrisy. This is insincerity of heart, right? It's the idea that like, I got to tuck my shirt in and put on a good face and you got to convince everyone around you that like, my life is going perfectly, brother, because if they find out the truth about you, you're afraid they'll kick you to the curb. It's hypocrisy. Almost done. Next one, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Peacemaking is all about being willing to step into an uncomfortable situation and get your hands dirty in order to bring wholeness to the relationships around you. The opposite of this one is peacekeeping. Okay, peacekeeping is conflict avoidance. Peacekeeping is like, I'm not gonna you know, chew my kids out when they're going off the rails because I just I want them to like me and I don't want them to get mad at me. Or peacekeeping is like, I'm not gonna speak up about my, how much my spouse has been drinking lately because like, I just don't wanna start a whole thing. I don't wanna start a fight, right? Peacekeeping is, you, what happens when you peacekeep is you end up letting people you love spiral into a mess. When you're a peacemaker, you jump into the mess and get your hands dirty in order to rescue people and make things whole again. And then last one, last characteristic of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jim gave me this note to add in. I absolutely agree with it. He's it's like, if you're being persecuted or ridiculed because you're one of those like angry, judgmental Christians who's mean to other people, you don't get to pat yourself on the back and say that you're being persecuted. 
Okay, you're just being justifiably criticized for being a mean person, right? On the other hand, though, if you're being ridiculed and judged and persecuted for holding on to Jesus's truth in a world that increasingly seems like it hates it, Jesus says you will be blessed. And the opposite of this one is a weird, sterile, strange term called the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard it, maybe not. All it is is a fancy term for the false belief that Jesus's primary purpose is to make each one of us happy and healthy and wealthy and above all, safe. And it's just not true. It's not true because real life is really hard sometimes and Jesus isn't to blame for that. And it's not true because sometimes following Jesus will get you a lot of flack from other people. And it's not true because our faith was built on the backs of martyrs, Jesus Christ being the very first one. And it's not true because still, like happening today in different parts of the world right now, following Jesus won't just get you uninvited from a party. Like, it'll get you killed. And Jesus says that if you are ridiculed and slandered and persecuted for following him, it's not because he abandoned you. That's you believing that Jesus was gonna keep you safe all the time. It's not because he abandoned you, it's because you chose not to abandon him and he will bless you for it. And then he wraps up his characteristics of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, okay? Now, we can take a breath, because that was a lot in a short amount of time, okay? So what does this have to do with us in 2024? Okay, go back to the thing that I said I think we should consider today. Another pretty great trick that the devil could pull would be convincing people that citizenship in the kingdom of heaven requires the exact opposite of what Jesus declared. And what Jesus declared is that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are spiritually bankrupt. You know you're spiritually helpless on your own power. You're mournful, people who are meek, hungry for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and willing to be persecuted without seeking revenge. Jesus says that those are citizens in my kingdom. And the opposite of this would be what we just talked about. The opposite description of Jesus's kingdom would be the kingdom of heaven heaven belongs to those who are perfectionists, self-righteous, scared, angry, judgmental, hypocritical, and who have circled the wagons so that Jesus can keep their lives tidy and safe. And you tell me which one of those statements seems to best describe the typical Christian in 2024. Or because it's no good to point fingers at other people. I've I did that, I still do this from time to time, right? Like, and it's a gross feeling. Instead, let's point the finger at ourselves. We should all each individually be asking ourselves, which one of those statements honestly better describes me on a typical day? And I know this hurts to talk about. I know it makes us feel uncomfortable. Jesus just has a way of making us feel very uncomfortable, but I still think we should lean into it. Because I don't know if you have been paying attention, but you know, Christianity is not really looked upon favorably in our current culture. And yes, I absolutely believe that sometimes that falls into the bucket of persecution. Sometimes people will count us out or think that we're crazy just because we follow Jesus. Some people just think that that makes us insane, okay? I get that. But here's what I've, I've observed, okay? Usually, the criticism that Christians receive have less to do with the characteristics of Jesus and it has more to do with the characteristics of Christians themselves. And here's what I mean. Okay, here's something I've never heard. Like I've literally, I've never heard something like this. I've never heard someone say, for example, like, dude, I can't stand my aunt. Okay, she drives me nuts. She's a Christian. 
And so you know how she is, right? She's like, you know, humble all the time, right? She's like meek. She's, she's very gentle with everybody. She's, you know, everyone else is at the Thanksgiving table is like fr- freaking out and she's always like really slow to anger. She's always hungry to make things right. Dude, she'll go out of the way at her own expense to dry, try to bring peace back into our family. Never heard that, okay? You know what I hear all of the time and you hear all of the time. We hear some version of, dude, I can't stand my aunt, right? She's a Christian and you know how they are. She's just like this stuck up, self-righteous hypocrite who's mad at the world and she's always judging me for the way I live my life. We hear that one all of the time, okay? Typically speaking, when people can't stand Christians, it's not because we look like Jesus, it's because we don't. I mean, they would never word it this way, but like, A lot of times people don't like the typical Christian because the typical Christian just isn't living within the requirements of their own kingdom. And this is so sad because Jesus outlines the requirements that like the characteristics of the citizens in his kingdom. And then immediately after that, in his sermon on the Mount, he says that if we live this way, we're gonna stand out in this way that's amazing and we'll have like this great impact. We're gonna stand out in the world in such a way that other people end up getting drawn to our king, to King Jesus. Here's what he says like immediately next. He goes, if you live this upside down life, if you live by these characteristics of the kingdom, you're the salt of the earth. You give flavor to the world around you. He goes, if you don't live by these characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that if the salt loses its saltiness, then how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good, like good for anything other than to be thrown out and trampled by men. But again, if you, if you live this upside down life, if you live by these characteristics, you're the light of the world. And a city on a hill, you can't hide it. Right? And no one you know, lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl. That's for insane people. Like instead, they light a lamp, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And so in the same way, let your light, let your kingdom characteristics shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise not you, but your Father in heaven. And so to sum up everything that we just talked about today, because it was a lot, Jesus starts his inaugural address by saying, here's what a citizen in my kingdom looks like. And then immediately after that, he says that this kind of life will end up drawing other people like a moth to flame to the light of Jesus Christ himself. He says that this upside down way of life will draw people to Jesus. And so isn't it possible that it's time for us to repent? to like totally rethink the way we think about everything, especially to rethink what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, a citizen of his kingdom. Because the sad truth is that not always, but a lot of times when people look at Christians, a lot of times they don't see people who are growing in meekness and patience and gentleness and righteousness and mercy and peace. Instead, a lot of times they see people growing in their own fear and anger and their own self-righteousness and perfectionism and hypocrisy and judgment. And we wonder why in America in 2024, it doesn't seem like people seem to be flocking to the light of Jesus. And so again, because it's not helpful to point our finger at our aunt or whatever, let's point our finger back at ourselves. We have to all ask ourselves, have I contributed and in what ways have I contributed to the poor reputation of the church held by those on the outside looking in? 
And the truth is, all of us, myself included, we've all contributed to this in varying different ways and different degrees. And so really the question just becomes, like, how do we start fixing this? Like, how can we as a church play a role in bringing the flavor, like the salt of Jesus's kingdom back to this world? How can we allow his light to shine again in such a way that other people are drawn to him again? And here's where I think we start. I think we start with the central message of 100% of Jesus's teaching and preaching, which is repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, rethink the way you think about following Jesus. And so a challenge, and then we'll pray and we'll get out of here. Okay, as we were breaking down the characteristics of citizens in the kingdom of heaven, if you felt convicted by any of those, if any of them made you go like, yeah, I'm not so good at that one, then the challenge this week is to ask Jesus to help you grow in that characteristic of citizenship. And that sounds very abstract. So here's what it looks like practically. I'll give you, I'll go first. I'll give you mine. Okay. The two that convict me the most are being free of fear and anger and being merciful. Okay. I'm not immune to living in the culture and world that I live in. Okay. I've got three little kids at home. Like, I don't, I don't know how they're going to make it through the, it seems like a totally different minefield than the one I had to navigate when I was a kid. It makes me scared for them. When I get scared for them, I get really angry because I'm their father. I get angry at the people and the culture that seem like they're placing a new mind for my little babies like every single day. And because I get angry, I certainly don't have mercy. I want people to get what they deserve, right? I want people to get their just desserts. But the truth, as uncomfortable as it makes me, the truth is the fact that like fear and anger and judgment don't belong to the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, of which I am one. And so I have to root that stuff out of my heart. And so for the next couple of weeks, that's what I'm going to work on. I'm going to ask Jesus to help me grow in the citizen characteristics of being meek and being slow to fear and anger and being merciful. I'm going to pay attention for the next few weeks at how quick I get to, to being scared and how quick I am to getting angry and how quick I am to being judgmental. That's what I'm going to work on. What's that for you? Right, maybe you need to work on being poor in spirit and mournful over your own brokenness instead of just being trapped in self-righteousness and perfectionism. Like you can be free from that. Jesus was perfect for you. Jesus was righteous for you. You don't have to play that game anymore. Or maybe you're like me. You need to grow in being merciful and free of fear and anger. Like you need to just remember we have a king. He's on his throne. He's in control. Judgment is his, not mine. Power is his, not mine. He will one day wipe every tear from my face and set everything whole and right again. Maybe you need to grow in having a sincere and honest heart, right? Like just no more hiding, right? No more secret keeping. Dude, I promise the thing that you think is unforgivable has been forgiven. You are free to live in authenticity and honesty. Or maybe you just need to grow in being hungry for, for things to be made right. So hungry that you're now willing to be a peacemaker instead of a peacekeeper. Right? Maybe it's just time to, to speak up right? To, and to address the growing dysfunction in your marriage, even though you don't know how to fix it right now. Or maybe it's time to speak up with that friend and say like, I'm really worried about you and the way that you're living your life. Like maybe it's time to jump into the mess and get dirty in order to rescue relationships and bring wholeness to the world around you. And then if trying any of this stuff brings you ridicule and slander and judgment, then it's time to grow and being resilient under persecution. 
But that's the challenge, okay? Just take the thing that you feel convicted about and then ask Jesus to help you grow in it. Pay attention to it throughout the week and put up a good fight, basically. Like put up a good fight against self-righteousness and perfectionism and fear and anger and hypocrisy and hiding. Put up a good fight so that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we can represent our king well. So that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we can bring salt to the earth and light to the world. All right, let's pray. God, your, your, Jesus, your Sermon on the Mount is um, just really convicting and challenging and it's backwards and it's controversial. Makes me uncomfortable, makes us uncomfortable. And at the same time, it's the, it's the greatest sermon that's ever been delivered, God. So could you help to, to lower defenses in our hearts so that we can actually hear what it is you wanna teach us God, could you give us some discernment for just like the different characteristics of following you that like we need to grow in personally? Would you give us the courage it takes to start making changes in those areas of our lives? God, at the same time, like you didn't like, you didn't come to earth and die on a cross so that you could heap more guilt and shame on our heads. You died on a cross to put guilt and shame to death. So for any of us who right now we feel like convicted to the point of feeling guilty, feeling shameful. Like that's not what conviction is supposed to be about. So for anyone who feels guilty and shameful, God, can you do what only you can do, which is just speak your grace and your mercy into their hearts right now. And then God, ultimately, like for people in the room who like maybe don't even believe in you yet, like at, buried at the, at the root of the opening to your Sermon on the Mount is this beautiful truth. And the beautiful truth is that you are the king of spiritual losers God, you didn't show up and say, here's what it looks like to be a part of my kingdom. You've gotta be perfect. You've gotta have every single Bible verse memorized. You didn't say that. You said, if you feel spiritually lost and hopeless, if you feel like a spiritual loser, I will be your king and I will be your father and I will walk through this life with you. God, please don't, don't ever let us let go of that beautiful truth at the core of your Sermon on the Mount. You are our king, the king of spiritual losers like me and like everyone else in the room. Thank you for choosing to be our king and our father. Thank you for choosing to walk through this life with us. God, I love you very much, even though today is convicting and challenging and uncomfortable. I thank you for who you are. Thank you for challenging us. And I pray all of this in your beautiful son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Flatirons Church Online. We're so glad you chose to be with us today. Now listen, we are always adding brand new content. So please subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of it. And remember, we're streaming services every single Sunday. Now, if you'd like to continue to help us support the ministry of Flatirons Church of reaching a lost and broken world, please hit that give button and join in with all that God's doing here at Flatirons. We'll see you next week.